Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome back to In The Pink, the podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham. Thank you for your feedback on tubes. Um, I knew you'd love it. Well, because I loved it and you can't help but love him, can you? I mean, what a, bl- what a great bloke. He's kind of always been there, hasn't he, in the background, growing up with him on TV. You kind of feel like he's one of your pals that you could, I shouldn't say go for a beer with because he is now teetotal. I just loved his honesty and his openness about his battle with alcoholism. You know, he's very brave, actually, to say the things he did. So thank you, Tubes. Um, you know... I know you love the word legend, but you are one. There is no doubt. Um, okay, sticking with the theme of football, I'm going to introduce my next guest, who is Mr. Lee Dixon, fans' favourite for both Arsenal and England, part of arguably the best back four to have ever played in the Premier League. That's a bold statement, I know, but I'm sticking by it. Let me know if you disagree. Post-football, he turned his hand to punditry and to great effect. He is very good at talking about the beautiful game. Uh, Let's see if he is as good talking on the podcast. I think you'll find he is. He's the thinking man's footballer, Mr Lee Dixon. Lee Dixon, how very lovely to be joined by you this morning um, here in Sunny Barnes. Uh, Do you know, I'm going to be honest. You are obviously a revered footballer, a hero to many. But that's not why I wanted you to do the podcast. Look at my face. I've got a, My face is all wrinkly because I don't know what you're going to say next. No, I just think you're going to have good chat. Oh, right. Yeah. I thought you were going to say you're going to reveal something about myself I didn't know. <laughs> no, no, not an expose. Don't worry okay, about that. Thanks. No, but I've seen your pundit work and I've seen you at charity events and I just sense that you're going to have some good stories for me. You're going to have a good old natter. Mm. No pressure, but please make me laugh. I'm very, very pressurised right now, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I'm, um, I think I'm quite a, uh, a chatty person, and obviously, going, doing what I do on a regular basis, as, you, as in talking quite a lot. Although sometimes the adverts get in the way on ITV, but that's another thing. Um, I do love talking about football. I love talking about. I love having a laugh. I think that's one of the things that. Um, certainly playing football and being in a dressing room it's part of the whole process you have to be able to join in you have to be able to um, be a guy in the dressing room that has something that the other guys are interested in 
you know, straight away, dressing rooms are really they're difficult environments to to survive in, and you have to find a way of uh, fitting in right. when you first go into one. So, and you I mean, in terms of a pecking order of like knowing your place and where you fit into the whole scheme of things, is that why they're hard? They're hard because of that, but they're yeah. also hard to find your you. Let, when you, it's, it's probably same as going into any sort of work environment. You go in there, say you go into a, a school, when you first go into school, you have to kind of, you go in, you're not too sure how to behave, you kind of, who's who's my mates? You're trying to find mates straight away. So in a football dressing room, it's the same thing. You you kind of know these guys because you, you see them. When I moved from Stoke to, to Arsenal, I didn't know any of the Arsenal players as opposed to being mates or anything, but I, I knew him, you know, David O'Leary, Tony Adams, all these amazing, Kenny Sansom, all these amazing superstars that I'd look from, you know, the the second division as it was then up at this, the golden chalice of the, Prem, it's not the Premier League, the first division and go, I can't play there. They're, they're, they're way above where I see myself as a, as a player. So, and then all of a sudden, you know, literally on a Tuesday, I go into training at Stoke and on the Wednesday, I'm driving down to sign for Arsenal. I mean, how scary is that? I'd, I'd only ever been to London once, and that was to watch an England game with my mates when I was at college on a big bus. Got absolutely hammered with about 15 pints of lager on the way down, and I'm not a drinker anyway. Um, well, I am a bit, but I was not. Say a big 15 drinker. pints is all right. Yeah. Well done. No, I shared a few. I, t- <laughs> I tipped a few out the side of the coach. But then going down to lot, it was just you know going down to sign for Arsenal. I mean, I was. 22 years of age and 23 I'd just turned 23 I was I'd got a six month old um my first child Josh you know that's scary in itself young that is young to be a dad yeah well I got my big move I signed for Stoke when I was at um you know I was at I was at Berry. Stoke came in for me I was like that's it get married because that's what we do up north you know not a lot else to do so we'd go and get married and uh, so I got married, had a kid at six months. So that was a massive thing. I was playing for a big club then. And I thought I'd found my my position, second division, Stoke, decent, mid-table. I thought, you seriously didn't have bigger ambitions than that? Well, I, yeah, as a, as a kid growing up, you want to play for England and you want to do all the big stuff. But, you know, being a pro footballer for me was, was the, the ultimate. And then it was like... Then I got re- I got released after a year of being a pro footballer. I signed pro for for Ber- uh, Burnley when I was eighteen, and it was the pr- best thing that ever happened to me. And I was literally walking down the street. Nobody knew who I was. I lived in I still lived in Cheshire, and I used to drive to to Burnley every day to to play. And I'd walk around Style Village and Wimslow and stuff like that, and bumping into people, going, "Oh, huh, what do you do for a living?" And you know, hoping they'd say, "Weirdo." <laughs> Um, I'm a I'm a a nurse or a whatever, and so, only so I, they could say you're going to ask me now. I'm a professional footballer. <laughs> that was like two days oh. after a sign. I was so that was like my pinnacle. So, and then after a year, John Bond came in, manager of uh, Burnley, new manager, and after two games said to me, "You'll never play for me again. You're not good enough." And I was like, "Hang on a minute." But I, this this is what I do, and and he released me with no club. Um, go and find a club. He was he wasn't particularly nice to me, and you know he's not with us. God bless his soul now. But it, he was not a particularly nice guy to deal with, and he just discarded me into the into the wasteland of of um, discarded footballers, as if it was just a normal thing. And I was devastated. And I I, I was how do my how am I going to get over this? Because um, I'm I'm I haven't got a club now. 
And the only cl- two clubs that came in for me was Crew Alexander and Chester City. And Crew were mid-table fourth division, as it was then, League Two as it is now. And Chester were bottom of the nine. They were ninety-second in the league. They were bottom of the fourth division. And I was like, "What? That's nearly not a footballer anymore." <laughs> Because what do I do if I go to 93? What happens then? So anyway, in the end, John McGrath, bless him, who was manager of Chester, signed me as um, as their right back in, in, in position 92. And I, I was in the fourth division all of a sudden. And then then it was a process of trying to be the best I could. And, and then the following year, I was only there a year, following year, Berry came in for me within the third division. I was like, oh, going up. But I had a ceiling. The ceiling was I can't play in the first division. That's big men. That's big boy stuff. So when and then I went to um, Burnley. Then I went to Stoke, and I thought that's it. Wow! And Stoke were decent sides. You know, they were, Mick Mills was a manager who was one of my heroes because he was a fullback and played a million times for England and educated me on how to defend a little bit. Was still a bit bomb forward. Didn't really do a lot of defending, but I, I learned a lot under Mick Mills. And then. Next minute, 18 months later, as I said, Arsenal came in. It was like, Mick Mill, he called me in the office and he says, we've had a call. And I was like, okay. You know, I thought, because there was a few rumours around that somebody was going to come in for me. I was playing pretty well at Stoke. Um, won player of the year as a full-back. I was scoring goals from there as well. And uh, he goes, yeah, we've had a call. Um, you're going to, he said, brace yourself. And I thought he was going to say something like, Coventry or something no disrespect to Coventry but it wasn't and he said we've accepted a a, a bid from Arsenal and literally the blood drained from my head went all the way down to my feet and I started shaking and I was so terrified I was I literally wanted to say to him I I don't want to go but I I thought oh my god I can't play for Arsenal ridiculous and the skip 15 years and I guess this was my driver as a player. I played for Arsenal for 14 and a half years in the end. But every single day, and this is not a lie, you might you might not believe me, every single day I was expecting someone to... I'm leaning over and tapping Natalie on the shoulder. I know you can't see this, going, <laughs> tapping on the shoulder and going, only kidding, you've got yeah. to go back to Bury on Burnley now, off you go. And it was like one of them, I was like... God, they picked me again. Let's but just carry I, on playing. You know, I, I find this really hard to believe because you seem like such a confident person, mm. a calm confidence about you, but but clearly not. You got, you obviously doubted your ability, maybe because of that rejection early doors yeah. that stayed with you. No, absolutely. I think that, albeit it was devastating at the time, it was probably, from a learning point of view about myself, the best thing, because I, I wanted to prove you know, John Bond wrong. Mm. He went in and he disrupted a really lovely family club, Burnley, threw all the old, uh, threw all the, the young players out, brought all his experienced older guys in, Jerry Gow, Tommy Hutchinson, players, Kevin Reeves, and he kind of ruined the club and, and he, he's not been thanked since that about that. awful. I mean, one person can have that much yeah. of an impact. Oh, you, you ask people a at Burnley. legacy. You ask yeah. people around Burnley what he did to the place. And, uh, but, so I, 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 probably fortunate to get out yeah, and uh, and then give me that right I'm going to prove him wrong and prove him wrong and and you know uh, I'd like to think I, I did we played him in the, he was manager of Shrewsbury uh, a few years later and we and Arsenal drew him in the FA Cup yeah 
and it was <clears throat> it was the best day of my life because I was walking up, coming off after the warm up down the tunnel, and he was walking the other way, and he just looked at me, and I stared at him in the eyes, and he kind of just walked past me and didn't say anything. I thought, oh, that'll do me. I'm, I think I've proved him wrong. I'm sure you have. I don't know what I... the question was at the start of that. Me was neither. Something about. Um, all the know. while, though, you're a City fan. Yeah, well, born in Manchester, my dad played for City in the 50s, he was a goalkeeper, played for the reserves, he never made the first team, Bert Troutman was was goalkeeper then, he was a legend and my dad was kind of understudy, so he he was a pro for three years, we were a City blue and blue family, went to the Kipax every week, standing on the terrace in and all of that lot, and, and the funny thing was, the one team that we hated more than Manchester United when we used to go watch games was Arsenal. And so when I signed for Arsenal, all my mates who City fans went, can't sign for them. Remember, we hate them. And I was like, yeah, I know, but it's changed a bit now. And now I, I'm obsessed with the club that I played for and, and I always want them to beat yeah. City, which is my City fans' mates are not very happy about that. And, but they must have supported you through your time at Arsenal. Did they switch allegiance? No, they didn't. Support Arsenal? No, they didn't, they didn't switch allegiance and I always used to get a message before we played City going, come on, because City weren't very good then and we yeah, were yeah. pretty good. You know, go easy on us and then they were out of the league for a while, you know, got relegated and, and stuff like that. But I've still, I still, I still support them um, a little bit. But Arsenal, and, you know, once you get into a club like that, it's just such a, an amazing club to be part of. And, and I, I never forget, and I've told this story a million times, so I'll tell it really quickly, but it's on the... 89 video and, and, and stuff like that but I turned don't, don't say video you really shouldn't say video yeah you said video the Betamax no <laughs> <laughs> oh my god did I say video can't believe it don't tell my kids um, whatever it is yeah. DVD no Blu-ray no what was it oh god <laughs> it's a film okay it's a film yeah it's a film, it's a film. brilliant film it's by the br- way we'll talk more of that later but anyway yes um, and I uh, what was I saying so that's what you I said it was that. a good story, but it's a short story, which I'm told by my husband is always the way. <laughs> good story, it's a short story, Pinky. Keep it sweet. Oh, I can't even remember what I was saying now. Whatever. You, see, you, see, you said, I've told it? a story a million times, I'll tell it again. Oh, I t- yeah, that's right, I got it. See, yeah. that's what happens at 55. Yeah, yeah. It comes back. <laughs> um, is that I turned, when I signed for Arsenal, I went down to um, the Watford Gap service station with Mick Mills. And all the way down there, Mick Mills was telling me, "You've made it now. This is Arsenal." You do, and and Stoke had offered. I was on three hundred and fifty pound a week at Stoke, and they'd offer me five hundred pound a week to to sign a new contract. So, which was great, but then Arsenal came in for me. So, I was kind of like, "What sort of money?" You know, I didn't have an agent. Mick Mills was driving down in the car, driving me down, and I said, "What sort of money?" Do, I don't know what to say to him when I get there. Because George Graham was an imposing yeah. character w- yeah. without him knowing him, just yeah. seeing him from a distance. So I knew I was going to... have that I, reputation yeah. even yeah. I knew I was going to be in the lion's den a little bit. Mm. And then I... And he went, oh, you, you've made it. So that's for... Um, and he just went, that's for a £1,000 a week. That's the kind of money your first division players will be on. So I went, OK. So I had that figure in my head. So we get to Watford Gap service station, get out of the car. George Graham is in his Daimler Sovereign in the driver's seat and my dad had a jag so that familiar leather smell when you get in a car that makes me feel a little bit car sick yeah, I opened the car door and got in the passenger seat and thought feel a bit <laughs> feel a bit sick 
So and there he is in his Arsenal blazer, tie, immaculate white shirt, almost cutting his neck. It was so sharp the collar, and I looked. I just went, "Oh God, I just want to die." Please, please, please be nice to me. And he just looked at me and he went, "Wow, what an opportunity you've got now. We're going to build a team around young, hungry guys like you." Um, sold the club to me. Didn't have to because I was I was going to go whatever. And then um, he went, "Great." Great to have you aboard, on board and starts to get out of the car. And I went, oh, uh, excuse me, um, Mr. Graham. Uh, what, what do we, how do we do the contract thing? You know, what, what happens now? And he went, oh, oh, so it went a bit weird. Want to talk about money? And I went, oh, got family at home, yeah. six month old. And I knew the property prices down in London were a lot higher, but yeah. I didn't know how high. And I sold my, in the end, long story, I sold, long story. I sold my house for £35,000 in Stoke and bought the equivalent house in Hertfordshire, same size and everything, for 170000 wow. So yeah. I was literally brassic. I could, my dad was paying me mortgage and everything when I first moved because it was the only place I could settle down was in near the training ground. But George said to me, right, well, what do you want then? And I said, um, so and I had this £1,000 in my head and yeah. I went, £1,000 a week? And he literally just went, are you kidding me? I've got internationals not on that money. I said, you, you money-orientated? Is that, is that what you're all about? I've got you I've got you wrong. And I was like, no, but... And he got out of the car. He got out of the car and walked, and that was it. Oh, my God. And Mick Mills come out, and he came out. He goes, what the hell have you said to him? I said, I told him what you told me to ask for. Yeah. And he got out of the car and said, the deal's off. I started crying in the... And he goes, get in the car. He said, he's, he's got... That's it, it's done. So I got in the car, drove all the way back to Stoke, crying my eyes out, a 23-year-old man in the car, crying. I got my wife and six-month-old baby back in Stoke, sort of oblivious to all this. I get back home, and she went, how did it go? I went, not great. Um, deal's off. So I, I was devastated. So I, I then phoned Mick up that night, and I said, what do I do? He goes, give him a ring, here's his number, call him up and say you'll come down to see him tomorrow on the train try and resurrect it because he's he's not having you and I was like phoned him up George went come down we'll have another chat so I got the train down to London cab to the to the front of Highbury Marble Halls have you been in there you not oh walked? yeah Highbury yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry yeah, yeah. Marble Halls this was, yeah obviously ages ago but yeah because I'm very old yeah walked up the marble steps yeah, going yeah. Herbert Chapman's looking straight at me mm. I've got this ridiculous horrible Marks and Spencer green and blue jumper. I'll never forget it. I think my daughter's still got it. And I looked at Herbert Chapman and I went, I'm not leaving here until I sign. So I walked straight to his office, knocked on his, walked in and I said, I'll, I'll sign for 500 a week, whatever. And he went, oh, he said, I thought that might work. He said, uh, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go halves with you, so I'll give you 750. And I went, I signed on the dotted line and that was the, that was the start of my... Uh, relationship with George Graham which was one of um, massive education uh, lessons every day hit you with a stick make you really work for mm. you but the, the the money side of things with him was always really difficult because he had the club at heart in that respect he was tight as anything way structure so you couldn't get a penny out of him you had to you had to win something or do something which I think is the right way yeah, yeah. it's gone the flip side now and it's oh, yeah. you know they get too much too soon but old school it was like if you win something come back knock on my door give you a new contract and he would but very small 
And so what was. year was that? 88. It's not, it's not that long ago. No. I mean, or well, is that just me getting old? It's you getting old. In the Pink is sponsored by Bose, who've been perfecting the art of sound so that you can listen in unrivaled comfort. The new Bose noise cancelling 700s take it to a whole other level. So you'll always hear exactly what you want, no matter where you are. Also, be heard like never before with their unrivaled four microphone system, which isolates your voice whilst cancelling the noise around you. Pretty cool, huh? Always stay connected with Bose's first of its kind augmented reality function that will change the way you think about travel, exercise and learning. And never be caught out because they have an excellent 20 hours of battery life. They come in black and silver so you can work them around your style, your little fashionistas. And you can treat your ears with the Bose noise cancelling 700s. It's a sound experience like no other. Now, back to the interview. How quickly did you bed in with that group of players? Because the defence arsenal at that time stuff of legends um i remember chatting to some of the my mates at work who were like oh yeah if arsenal went one nil up then that yeah. was it yeah. you know because you're never going to get through that defense uh, how, how quickly did you surround yourself by these great names like tony adams martin keown well winterburn you obviously knew um steve bald already yeah. because you'd yeah you'd come down with him hadn't yeah. you? yeah well he, he signed six months after me but um it was it was a, a very quick learning curve to actually bed into the way that Arsenal played at the time and George was very strict there was a there was a way of playing it was completely alien to me because I was a fullback that showed I was pretty quick and as a fullback that showed a winger down the line because that's why I was being educated and then all of a sudden George on the first day of training it was at it was at the indoor training center at Highbury and we're, it was freezing cold because I signed in the in the February so it was like cold outside we couldn't train because the pitches were frozen go inside and we do this like little session and they kept shouting they kept shouting into me in 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 his scottish voice i can i can i go to sleep sometimes at night having nightmares about him shouting at me still to this day because he was going in in and i was going in what what you said why are you saying that? so i said to dave rocastle bless him who again is not with us and i said to him what's he keep saying in for what's that i don't know what that means and he went oh it's inside you have to get you have to show everybody inside so you don't get beat down the outside. So me playing on the right, I could not let anyone go down the wing. I had to show them inside the middle of the pitch because that's how we played. It was where our strength was. Don't get beat on the on the out, outside. Show everybody inside. And I was like... And it was so alien to me to try and do that because it was just natural to go show them down the line. No, and he used to basically fine you if you got beat down the outside. He yeah. said, right, I'm going to fine... Do not let people get crosses in. You show them inside. You show them inside. In, in. It was like, and then he whacked you with, metaphorically whack you with a stick if you didn't do what he said. And that's his way of coaching. Mm. But his coaching sessions on the pitch was so intense, and and you had to pick it up quickly. It's a little bit like I'm married to a beautiful lady in my life now called Yolanda, who's who's a dancer, and she can relate to that that picking up it's like picking up steps and I can't dance to save my life but you know a choreographer here's your steps and you have to learn it straight away and if you don't you're out and it was it was basically 
George Graham's choreography was show inside, press the ball. There was triggers to go and press the ball. There was, you had to learn them. It was a little bit like NFL playbook. This is what happens when the ball's there, you're there. You do. It's very regimented. And if you didn't learn it, you know, there was, you, you, fortunately, I'd, you know, unlike my dancing, I'm quite quick at learning patterns on, on a football pitch. And I guess that's why. I then go on to do what I do now, which is talking about those patterns and trying to, ex- trying to not teach. I hate that word. Like teach people what. No, but I, it is. It is type of teaching. But it's only it's only what I know. Mm. So it's not gospel, and there's loads of different ways of doing it. And it's your interpretation of it. Correct. But, yeah. yeah, but but it's like my the the ability to 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 show you or what I know that's in my head when I see a pattern. I go, I, well, I would do this. this is what mm. I think you should do. Um, I had success doing it this way, then if somebody understands that at home and a light bulb goes off and goes, oh, I get that now, why mm. that player might have mm. done that or something, I guess that's what I learned under George. It was it was understanding them, that 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 pattern on the pitch. So, um, and, and the discipline that he brought, presumably correct. just like impose oh yeah you see you just, that that facial expression says it all because it's like you still remember that discipline even now yeah but it's it's, it's now ingrained in you because of it, you see, it which, is, in, which is a good thing you know in, like yeah and patterns. it is ingrained and i i miss i miss a little bit that in my in my life now and i, I mean that because I, I was with him two weeks ago at the tottenham game and we did a charity box, 15 people, you know, paid money to charity to, to watch a game with me and George Graham. And I hosted it. And George was the, you know, the George was the jewel in the crown. Because I knew, even at, you know, he's 70 odd, even at now, he's so passionate about yeah. the game. And he's, he, he recognises the game's moved on. Mm-hmm. And he's a bit old school. But the, the game hasn't changed. And it's about how many you put in one end and how many you keep out at the other. That'll never yeah. change, <laughs> yeah. and, and and until you do both reasonably well, you won't win anything. You can Man City a, a, a brilliant going forward, Liverpool a brilliant going forward, but they still both know what to do without the ball. And his big thing was get that balance right. And he was a little bit more the defensive side, make sure you don't give anything away, and then nick one at the other end, one nil to the Arsenal. Yeah. Arsen is the flip, complete flip of that. He's attacking. Great looking football, brilliant, uh, open, freestyle, gunplay type. But he couldn't coach a back four as long as he's got two ears and a nose. So, but how difficult was that then for you to adjust to that style of management? Easiest thing ever because he left you to your own devices. Yes, yeah, because when he, he he's a hugely intelligent man, Arsene, mm. and came in and went, "Why?" He knew he knew us anyway yeah. before. He, he, he said he always tells the story. He says, "I knew you lot." You know, because he's a football nutcase. He watches mm. videos. He'll watch videos of Arsenal for years and years. So when he came from Grand Passe, he knew all about us. Mm. He was a little. He said to me, "I'm a bit surprised that you're actually a better footballer than I thought. I thought you were just like, you know, brick wall. Yeah, a load of grow bags at the back, going like just winning the ball. I heard he actually kicking. said you're better looking in the flesh as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, your testament to that. I can see you looking at me now, going, "No, he's wrong." <laughs> I tell you what, though, growing up, I was bloody scared of the back four at Arsenal. Keown and Tony yeah. Adams, they well, were, scary, yeah. scary, aren't they? Whoa! Whoa. Yeah. Nigel Winterburn as well. Not, yeah. not a looker. Lovely. No. <laughs> <laughs> but so, do you know what? Actually, watching the film, before I watched 89, mm-hmm. 
Mm. Um, I thought, I don't remember. I'm too young to remember any of this. Mm. And as I watched the film, it's amazing how much comes back. Yeah. So, I don't know, it must have been, what, How, 10, 11? Oh, thanks, thanks for yeah. really making <laughs> No, 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 like... but seriously, I do now, having watched it, yeah. um, I, it, it did stop. I was like, yeah, I remember that. I yeah. remember that moment. I remember those faces. I remember the buzz about them. I mean, the footage looks so old, doesn't yeah. it, now, when you look back at it? Well, we, and you see how far telly's come. I think, I think the, the beauty about 89 was the fact that that's what we do. We take everybody back to that time with the music mm. with the you know the pictures of the politicians the the way that the music ties in with yeah. everything and everybody the fashion you, and you know what it's like music gets everybody nostalgic yeah, you yeah. hear something you go oh I remember that and then all of a sudden the game's on and you and you can go back to where you were yeah i when, just started boarding school i, I remember you. that yeah because i remember the music yeah yeah wow all girls boarding school scary place don't go there mm. um but I bet, You're distracted now, aren't you? Yeah. I just got <laughs> boarding school. How yeah, terrible. I know, well. How cruel is that for your parents? Yeah, do you know what? It's funny. I mean, this is a different <laughs> discussion because we've just been trying to work out where to send our kids to school. And it's a bloody hard decision. My mum mm. and dad sent me there, and I'm really close to my mum and dad. Yeah. But my mum and dad sent me there because my mum had been to the same school and she right. absolutely loved, loved it. it yeah. And there weren't any decent local schools where we lived. Yeah. And so she thought, well, she knew I loved sport. Um, and it was a really sporty school. And she sent me there, but God, I was so homesick. And even oh, now yeah. I go, Mum, how could you do that? And she, yeah. she cries even now thinking about it. She goes, I thought I was doing the right thing for you guys. But. I, think, I think I've kind of right in the middle of, you know, doing the right thing for your kids and, so and then at the end it? of it. or And, and then I, I go back to what's the point of having kids if you send them send away? Because you're missing all that fun and, yeah. and the and also even, how, how can you have an influence on them if yeah. you're not with them yeah you're kind of you're kind of giving it to somebody you're you relying on a stranger yeah and there was a few weirdos at my boys <laughs> anyway uh look we digress um yeah. back to arsenal back to your education on the football pitch mm. i see what i did there nice little segue yeah, yeah um but you you grew up at arsenal really didn't you yeah because you were kind of wet behind the ears mm. i know you were 23 when you got there which you know, oh, by massively. today's standards, is quite old, but yeah. you still, um, you were still young. You know, you're still naive. Absolutely. I mean, when I look back, and I have this argument, I say discussion with my kids now and again, uh, and about four or five years ago, my my son's 31 now. He's a strength and conditioning coach for the FA. Works with the Lionesses That's and amazing. some of the. Yeah, he's brilliant. Never he, he retired when he was 10 from football because he just went don't want to play anymore because. Uh, don't really like football and I just get put under a load of pressure because people come and watch and they go are you Lee Dixon's son oh, oh you're not very good are you or you know well you should be better than this why are you not playing right back and why did... and he just went I'm not playing anymore so mm. which is really sad and I, and I at the time I didn't want to push him I didn't want to go yeah. forget all that you know you've got the drive because I, I, it's unfair and I don't think he was talented enough anyway to, to, to have the 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 strength to go through that mm. so I said as long as you play sports and do other sports that's fine you just got to play sports sports really important mm. in my life and I, and I believe it's the best thing for you and he went yeah and he played all the sports da, da, da. and then when he was eight, 18 he started playing at university again and loved football again fell in love mm. with it did a sports science uh, degree and then got into the fitness side of of football and loves it and he's massively passionate about his job and he's really good at it, and he's educated me on the new style of, of fitness and all the 
and all the new stuff that's going on now, which is great for me because when I go on TV, you know, I don't want to be the dinosaur that's always going, oh, in my day, so I've got that because I lived it, but I've also got the, yeah, in my day we did this, but now they're doing that because I'm not in the dressing room, so I've got the best, I'm in his dressing room and listening to what he comes out of that so I've how kind amazing of for your son into, to educate yeah. you and you know it's come oh, full I circle I, I always say it's wrong but yeah, <laughs> deep, deeply I'm yeah, but taking it's great it all that in, he's yeah. helping keep you relevant in that respect yeah absolutely and 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 he's you know some of the stuff he's coming out with and talking about I'm like wow god I'd, I'd be so I'd have been so much a better player if if I could have done that because yeah. there's loads of stuff that you know to be fair I I hit Arsene Wenger at the perfect time because I was 32 when he came mm. and I was just sort of starting to go oh, a bit niggly my knees a bit this is that and he came in and, and revolutionised English football in the way that we ate trained stretched and it was kind of like wow and I and he said look if you do this you know you'll play for George to be fair to him said I'll, I'll find a way of playing that makes my back, my back four play till they're all 35. And I played till I was 38. So there was a bit of George Graham in there and there was also a bit of Arsene coming in and, and giving me new techniques to keep my body going. Because the brain... Uh, when, when Arsene came, we won the double in 98. I literally could play the game with my eyes closed. It was I, I'd got all that experience from George, mm. knew how to defend. I got my three mates alongside me, who were almost unbeatable. Dave Seaman behind me, almost unbeatable unless the ball went over his head from from somebody. Me, your own goal against yeah, Coventry. Ron, yeah, Ronaldinho. Ah, uh, so, listen, Naeem. I tell you what, what, that was a cracking goal. Thanks. It's just a shame it was into your own net. Yeah, well, it, the anniversary was the other week, so you probably saw it on YouTube. <laughs> I always tell people, they always take the mickey out on Twitter. Oh, yeah, I've seen your goal. I said, keep watching it because I get a pound every time someone watches that video. <laughs> Obviously don't, but people go, really? So they think I get royalties for that goal, so I can keep watching it. It's great. Um, yeah, so... The, so the, the, Arsene hit me at the perfect time and, I, and I, a 98 double it, the game was so easy it was embarrassing I was like alright I know I get the ball right okay I've got my mates alongside me we're not going to concede any goals and then when I look up and I've got the ball and Arsene's going just go and play you know oh. none of that restriction go and play and I look up and I've got Patrick Vieira coming short in midfield and then I've got Dennis Burkamp waiting Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Giving up me going, give it to my feet. And then I've got Ray Parler outside me running straight down the line. And then I've got the setting striker, Wrighty might be there. Or, or Thierry Henry might what be. Team? Like was what like, team? You could have played right back. It was so easy. <laughs> and I, was, I, I played my best football at that moment, 98 yeah. to two, 2002, double winning side as well. But Lauren had just started taking over and I retired in 2002. I was 38 and I was tired. My knee was gone and I was kind of... But from 98 to sort of 2000, those two years... The game was absolutely the easiest I've ever known it. What a time to be alive. Do you know what? I think you've answered my next question because there must have been at some point a sense that... I don't want to say professional jealousy, but a sense that, God, if only you'd played in the modern era, you'd have earned so much more money Mm. and you'd be kicking back and, you know, living a life. And not doing podcasts. Not (laughs) doing... Shut (laughs) face. This is for the, this is for the love of conversation. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but no, but seriously, there must be part of you that's like, I can't believe the sort of money these kids are on these days. Yeah. But what you've just described, you can't put a price tag on that. I mean, that no. I can't think you would get that level of passion and love for the game from many people in 2019. No, it, just because think... it feels more inhibited now. Yeah. It feels it's just a different game, isn't it? No, I, absolutely, and I, and I think. If, I mean, I get asked this a lot, and people go, "Oh, bet you wish you play now because of the money," and I go, "Yeah, it'd be great." I'd be, and I'll tell you a funny story in a second. Which is, but the money side of things is, you can always look elsewhere and be envious, and and all the guys who played in seventies and will be looking at us going yeah. lucky because we. I had a lovely, lovely living out of playing football for Arsenal, but the the me, the memory side of it far outweighs that. Now. I think it's flipped the other way. The money side of it outweighs the memories. Some some people, the guys who are winning stuff, will say differently. You know, the Liverpool and the and mm. the and Man City's and that, but they still getting the money as well. Mm. But I would not swap one day to play now. Not one single day, because I had the best of. I had a decent living, but I had the best. We we were we were free. We could go down to the Bank of Friendship and uh, have a game of darts with the locals on a Tuesday after training. This is Tuesday Club. Tuesday Club. It might be a Wednesday as well. No, I'm joking. The Tuesday Club. But this club... was a boozy kind of boys club thing that you just would never be able to get away with these days. Correct. And it's also been massively exaggerated over the years that we every Tuesday we went out and run riot around London and did this, that, that. Not the case. Once a month, maybe if that, once every five weeks, we'd go if we had a weekend uh, a week off we'd go for a, a game of darts with a few locals a few pints of guinness go down tgi fridays in covent garden have some ribs or whatever and then some of the lads would go out and it's been well documented about who the ones that went out tony adams obviously in his book he tells stories about those those tuesdays but it wasn't it was exaggerated and but you could go. You could go out. Team spirit. You could do that. You could also mix with the fans after the game. You'd know, be signing autographs mm. outside the ground, stuff like that, that. That 
when you look back on it, I, I love those moments yeah. because I was that kid asking for the autograph. The, 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 there's no access to players anymore. You know, the, the access that... Um, the access that they get now is from a distance and it's on Twitter and mm. it's, and it, you know, social media has its place. Mm. But I mean, if I was playing, if I was playing now, I wouldn't be on social, social media at all because it's distracting, it's mm. intrusive, it's great tool to be, to, to use for lots of positives. But from a player's point of view, if I said, I, th- I think there's too many negatives to it and I, and mm. I would, I, my concentration Need, needed to be certainly from my point of view because I wasn't the most skillful player in the world with my feet, but my head and how I, how I played the game how was. You read the game, I was, yeah. yeah. So, but I had to work very hard at that, mm. and I had to work very hard at my fitness and be. And so, I, I don't want that distraction. You know, well, I, I want to be concentrated. What you say about social media, because you don't ever get the level of intimacy that you would do um, directness with the, with the fans mm. and yet they've got access to you and mm. you're vulnerable to yeah. criticism you're exposed to it but not in a kind of human way no. you're not looking at someone in their eyes and no. talking about the game afterwards no. you're just under attack and that must be it, yeah, potentially soul destroying for a lot of yeah. a lot of fans uh, a lot of players sorry yeah. Um, these days. Along with Bose, In the Pink is sponsored by Tag Heuer, Swiss avant-garde since 1860. Excellence, precision and elegance. Their timepieces are designed for those who love challenges, which is a great fit for this podcast because most of the guests share that sentiment. I, I want to ask you about the, the racist problem that we have at the moment. Mm. Um, how... I mean, from your perspective as a, a white player playing in a team with, with other black players, but also having, um, there w- they've always been racist undertones. Like, yeah. we can't deny that. No. Do you think it's worse or do you think a light's been shone on it now um, and so we feel it's worse because we're just talking about it more? Yeah, I think, you know, the social media side of things highlights everything, the good stuff, the bad stuff. I don't know whether, I, I honestly don't know because I'm not playing now. Because on the pitch, you hear a lot of stuff when I was playing. Yeah. You do hear, I say a lot of stuff. That's wrong. That's, it'd be wrong of me to say that because I'm just, I'm, when, you, when, you, when you ask somebody to think backwards, they, they get all the times they've heard stuff and they kind of cram it mm. all in one. But, mm. Oh, yeah, there was loads of racism. There's lots of times in games where you wouldn't hear anything, mm. but there was there was certainly a racist undertones. We've seen all the footage, we've seen you know all the stuff that John Barnes went through, mm. uh, to name one. Um, and so there's always been a racist undertone to society. So mm. the fact that it's now is it any worse at football now? I don't know because I think the social media just highlights every you can't, everything's yeah. amplified yeah. And, and you see everything, you hear everything. If it was like that back when I was playing, it might have been exactly the same. I don't know. Mm. We've certainly not got any better. So that means it's got worse in my book because yeah, yeah. there's no improvement in that I, respect. I remember going to one of the last games at Highbury when Arsenal played Chelsea and we were with the Chelsea away fans at that point. I was with three other girls. One of them is black. And there was such an uncomfortable undercurrent mm. that we just left. Yeah. And it was really depressing. I think what happened was Thierry Henry scored and I think John Terry then equalised. Right. And um, there was massive racist abuse directed at Thierry Henry. And my friend Eleanor, 
who's black said I, I don't want to be here I'm a black woman I do yeah. not want to be in this and no. we left and I thought how can we not watch the sport we love because of that and that must have been well how long ago would that have been that would have uh, when did they f- stop playing at Highbury 2006 they went into the new stadium right so yeah that would have been that would have been about 2005 so yeah. Oh, that's just so depressing. So uh, what I want to ask you then is what advice do you give the, the young crop of players that are exposed to it now? You know, Obviously, we've been hearing about Raheem Sterling mm. against Bulgaria and this sort of collective decision whether they leave the pitch en masse. Is that the answer? Well, it depends how bad it gets and, and how bad is bad. You know, mm. Anything to, to, is bad enough, absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely. Mm. But you... If you if you say that the first incident incident in a game, as so, soon as something is said or heard or whatever, everybody walks off the pitch. I don't mm. think that's workable. I yeah, don't think they've that's... had they've had too many examples of this, haven't they? Haven't they just got to take a stand now? Well, they, yeah, there has to be something. But is is and the the argument against that is well, you're giving in to the racists. It mm. should be a, you know, the thing is with fo- the thing is with football ground crowds is this is this is a bit. It's a society problem because mm. if something happens in a crowd, there's hundreds of people know who the guys are mm. or girls or whoever it is who know who the racist comments are coming from. They know, but because they get into that mob mentality, there's a there's a there's a, a, a kind of protective thing around them that they mm. go, well, it's all right, we're in a group." And I and I was at a game recently, and I and I won't I won't say who or where I was but I was I was in a box and I was I was looking at the fans and it was I don't I, there was there's black guys in the crowd and there was things being said um I couldn't hear exactly what said but it wasn't it wasn't that the racist undertone that that I I was missing it was just the, I was looking at the people the the aggression and the mm. the faces of these people in the crowd it was it was it made me feel sick mm. it was like what does football do to people to 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 make that okay mm. for that person to behave in that way? That's the bit, and whether it's and that's not that it could be two white guys, mm. you know, opposite sides, that tribal sort of that's mm. always been there in football, which makes it so exciting because you've got us against them in that, you know, one team against the other and wearing your colours, and I get all that. That but the the, and I've shouted at players and you know for passing the ball out and making mistakes and you can feel this sort of passion in yourself coming up but it's never led to to then wanting to fight or hurt somebody mm. because of the game that's going on that's the bit that and that if you that's society thing because mm. it just makes it a place that people with real issues in their life for whatever the reasons get and get a, a place to 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 vent that mm. um and that's the bit we've got to try and work out it's, and I'm not necessarily saying it's, it's, it's a racist thing, but that's, then there's an element of that as well in it. So, uh, 22 caps for England. Did you feel fulfilled? Yeah, Did that feel fair, a fair amount of caps, or should you have had more? Um, one was good enough for me. I had to settle for one. Do you know what? I'm feeling all the way through this podcast, very, you had very low expectations for yourself. What's this I about? Think, no, I don't know. I'm still trying to work, have a field day I'm, with this. I'm 55 and still trying to work it out. Um, not got, I, I, I always put it down to it being my driver. I don't know what, where that's come from. I guess being, 
I don't know. I've been at Arsenal and surrounded by s- such brilliant footballers and maybe not... I'll tell the story about Tony Adams, the last game that we played together. Him turning round to me and I ball got knocked over the top. I ran round the back. Tony was out of position, swept up, knocked it back to the keeper and as I'm running back to the halfway line, he turned to me and he... And as I ran past him, he goes, and I'm starting to get goosebumps as as I say this. He said to me, "Do you know what, Dicko? You're one hell of a fullback." And I went, "Wow, that's the that that to me was better than a medal, because I I looked at him as as um, my captain. He was my captain the whole of my career at Arsenal, and for him to turn around, it's." took him 15 years to say it mind and uh but he eventually got there and said you're one hell of a fullback and I went wow and that was in that was 2002 in our last season playing together we both retired the same year and I just went wow that's incredible that he said that to me and it it fulfilled all the little gaps about my ability to keep playing at a club like that and I was like yeah and I, the, I didn't feel like that all the time but there was definitely moments during my career when I went, oh, I don't know, seemed to be, I keep getting picked, just keep getting picked every week. George Graham would put the team sheet up and it's like number two, Dixon. 14 years that happened. So I do give myself credit now, but I still remember that feeling of going, I've got to keep working. I can't, I can't let up. Because if I let up, someone's, and we signed three, four, Fullbacks, right backs over my career there, and I saw them all off, all off, and I was kind of like, right, there's another one gone, mm. and then all of a sudden, I like Lushny's coming from you know from the Ukraine, and I was like, oh god, I'm just gonna, there's another one I've got, he's going to find me out, I'm going to, this is the time, and it just made me train harder, made me play harder, and and I and I was very thankful, as I said, to that you know top three inches in my head that enabled me to be in the right position most of the time. Mm. And, I, and as a defender, and we'll see that, we see it now in, in the modern fullback, the modern defender, etc. The, uh, the the lack of ability, I don't know if that's the right... What I had was an ability to be in the right place at the right time, and George gave me that. He taught me where to be. And I'm not sure that's being coached as much now because the emphasis is on going forward, creating exciting football, which is brilliant to watch. I love watching it, but it also the England game the other night frustrated me against Kosovo because we conceded three goals, mm. sloppy goals to, that Gareth won't be happy with, the team won't be happy with, the defenders won't be happy with. But how much does it really hurt? You know, in the social media, in the media this week, it's been what great game, you know, five three. Mm. I heard on on Talksport I'm going on about um, I'd rather them win five three than than two nil or, or one nil. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? But is that you as a defender saying yeah. that? Do you think? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I, you know, on on ITV the other night I said they were talking about, you know, Raheem Sterling and going forward and creating his stuff. And do you think this is going to Sancho? Is he going to be in the team? I don't know. I'm like, don't care. I really didn't care at that moment because I was all I was concentrating on was like we've just conceded three goals against mm. Kosovo, and so that mentality that I got from George is still in me. And when I watch football now, and I look and Gareth, listen, I played, I didn't play, I played against Gareth, and I, and I worked with him on ITV. He's, a, he, he's everything that I want in an England manager because I, I just think his passion and what he's done to the England team is just 
Brilliant. He never opens his mouth without something hugely intelligent and thought-provoking comes out of it. It's just brilliant. I think he's I think he's an astonishing England manager. I really love listening to him. I love watching his teams. But he'll be frustrated by getting the balance right. The balance in the England team right now for me is not quite right. The midfield, the defence, it's a little bit tipped to this expansive, brilliant football we're playing with. And they can play that. You know, it's like when I was at Arsenal, we, we could play that game and still be tight at the back. Mm. So you can still have that. Cause yeah, you don't have to have one without the other, do you? No. The, 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 They're not the, mutually exclusive. No, the forward bit is ex- exceptional. Mm. And the talent we've got there, and you can have that in a team, you, but you have to have the link, and the link is the key. The defence on its own can't defend on its own. You have to have that link, and the link is the midfield. So when people have a go at the defence, conceded three goals, or did a... They all came about from mistakes and sloppy play and, and the midfield area is that link between good attack and being able to keep the ball out of the net, which is half of the game. Given how your brain works, as we've already discussed, and how you do actually like to teach, because you even use that word when you're being a pundit, mm. why aren't you a coach? Why don't you go and become <laughs> Gareth's defence coach for England and you might sort all this out? I don't think he's got my number. But um, would you? I mean, in all seriousness, no, well, the, why haven't you gone into coaching? Um, You've thought about it, haven't you? I have, yeah. No, when I stopped playing, I was doing some TV work. And I, I, I'm, I have to tell you, and I don't know why this has come up right now, maybe it's because you're a really good interviewer, I don't know, but you've, you've, you've tapped into something, I can feel it inside now, why I've, I didn't go into coaching. And I've never really, I've never really allowed myself to feel what it is, and it's it taps into what I was talking about before about somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder and go, hmm, right, your time, you've won the competition, you get your game, now you've got to leave the pitch because you're not good enough. It's tapping into that. It's like even though I had a, an amazing career and won loads of stuff, and I felt as if I'd not understood my position as a as a fullback. There was definitely an element of fear in the next step of going into coaching and going, I've got to do my badges. I've got to go out there and expose myself again and, and go, well, this is what I believe about coaching and then do the coaching badges. There was a fear about that. And, I, and, I, and I've not really allowed myself to talk about that before until this this moment. So it's kind of like there's a definite fear attached to it. And I was doing TV and although TV is hugely scary thing to do, as you know, and when that light goes on, when you first start doing it, you don't want to be there. You want to be somewhere else. And it takes a while to get used to. And some people never get used to that. And that's why they, they, you're flitting and out of doing a, being a pundit or a TV presenter and then you never see them again. I've managed to find a way of, of, of getting my point of view over without it, the, the fear of... Is people listening to this going, he doesn't know what he's talking about? Because that, that's always in me, I, I guess. And so that coaching side of things, I was always, it's easy to do the TV. And I'm quite good at the TV, so I'll just do that. And I'd love the TV, don't get me wrong. But there's definitely a part of me now when I look at the coaches on, on Saturday and during the week, and I go, oh, I could do that. I could, And I do some mentoring for some young fullbacks, and I talk about stuff one-on-one and do clips on videos on a, on a laptop and talk to talk 
about their game. And I, I love that. I love sharing my fullback knowledge with a fullback, a young lit, young kid. I, I really enjoy that bit. And and I do a little bit of stuff over in America with a friend of mine runs a football team in Santa Barbara, and he gets me to go along. and And I love talking to the kids, and I, I really like. But I also like my out of football place. And I think if you're a coach, the fear of giving myself to the game again mm. and going. 24-7, there we go. I've been out the game long enough and enjoy TV enough for it to satisfy. But every now and again, I do go, oh, yeah, I could just, just, can I just pop in one day a week? And I'd love to do that, just pop into a, a club and go, right, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do full-backs today and I'm going to take six of your young lads and just do a you know, tactics board and a, what are you thinking here? And da-da-da, do that and then leave. And not have the pressure. I don't miss the pressure of performing mm. and I think there's no doubt a hell of a lot of pressure comes with coaching but I think you'd be really good at it I really do um, the way you communicate and the way you make me understand the game like your descriptions earlier I can just see it I can you're, you're just painting a picture for me with your words which is you know obviously is important as a pundit as well but it feels like well I, I'd say there's a lot of people out there that would argue that is more intimidating to go in front of the nation and do what you do so I think you've conquered that yeah um Oh, but clearly it's a lack of self-belief as opposed to ambition because you've always been ambitious. Yeah. Yeah, I do, I, I'm, I'm still working on why. Um, but having said that, then, then, I, then I now think where I am, sitting in a, a little cinema with you in West London and thinking, well, what am I going to do this afternoon? I've got some free time or I'm going to do something or I'm going to go ride my bike with my mate who's over, sitting over there looking at me going, should we go and ride our bike? Or going to go and play golf with my son? Or after so I've got free time, I'm mm. working Saturday, Sunday at two games for NBC. I'm I can't tell you how excited about mm. going to Norwich I am on tomorrow. And then Sunday I'm, I'm at Watford Arsenal. I'm, I'm buzzing. I feel as if I'm going to play. It's a good life. Yeah, yeah, I've got a great life. Mm. And, I, and next week I'm, I'm, I've got some PLP work to do. And then that's one day. And then I'm going to play golf then. I'm going to ride my bike then. I'm going to do some stuff for charity on the Thursday. And then... So... If I was coaching, I'm fully immersed and mm. totally, and totally, in football again, and and it's definitely addictive. You know, you look at Mourinho, yeah. who's like, can you imagine being married to him right now, be pacing around, just yeah. desperate to get back to it? No, I mean, you, you once, once you're in it, you're fully. Yeah. I can't imagine me <laughs> being married to Jose Mourinho. <laughs> but yeah, I, that, exactly right. You have to throw yourself in, and, and every manager that I know that was uh, trust me enough to talk to me about the game has said have you ever thought about it and then every there one of them go. every one of them to a t to a to a man has said don't do it because you Too have stressful. to you have to be addicted to it and you have to you have to go into that addictive world of stress related mm. enjoyment why would you want to do that well you do see how much they age in a very short space of time Feels like me at the moment when I look back at those Facebook memories, they go, This was you five years ago before you had children. Okay, that's never five years ago. 15, maybe. <laughs> Jesus, have I aged that much? Um, okay, let's just quick word on Gareth Southgate because you, you're obviously a fan of his. Um, will England hang on to him? Do you think that a Premier League club will lure him away? Would a Premier League club be the right place for him? Because it feels to me that that England environment is, is, is perfectly suited to him. I don't know him the way you do, yeah. but. No, what do you I, think? I, I when I was working with him in ITV, he was just a, basically a coach slash manager waiting to happen. 
you know, he, he was just a matter of time. He went to the under-21s and then he's progressed brilliantly to the, to the first team. And whether club management will suit him, I don't know. I think he's absolutely cut out to do what he's doing right now. I think he's, his communication skills have been, as well as his, the way he set the team up and talks about the team and what he did at the World Cup, all of that sort of stuff. But his communication skills with everybody is a massive um, asset he's got to be able to... You can see how he talks to, you know, the the TV people and the and the um, and the nation about political issues and stuff that he talks about. And so when you're a player, if if you've got skills like that, and it, and then he comes into a dressing room, I would just listen to him anyway because mm. I think well he's you said all those really sensible things over there, so he must and he knows the game. You know, he's a really good player, Gareth. Um, very good centre back and and I think he knows the game and to be able, I would listen to him you know even though I I think I know the game I'll go well I don't know it all what you tell me something I would I'd want to play for him mm. and I always look at managers and go would I want to play for him what's he got what's he got that can drive me to motivate me to fill in those big gaps I've talked about about my self confidence on a pitch and what 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 could he do that I that I would go yeah I'll take that and I'll and I'll it'll make me a better player He's he's got all that in my book. Mm. He's actually a classic case of someone that's brilliantly reinvented himself as a player because I think that's got to be the hardest thing you do when you retire is to know where to go next. And yeah. it's taken him a while, hasn't it? Because yeah. his legacy would be missing a penalty, but now it's you know he, well he's he's changed the the course of of his destiny by by reinventing himself. Which yeah. I mean, how hard is that to do to to understand? Where you are meant to be ultimately with your life, because you retire so young, really, yeah, you know, yeah, no, compared no, to any other industry. Yeah. Well, it seemed when I retired, I was thirty-eight. It seemed the right thing for me to do was to to go in to carry on doing the TV stuff I was doing because I was reasonably good at it. I could string a sentence together that made sense in my head, and people like friends of mine, like Adrian Childs, who I work with, he was the, you know one of the best people I work with because. He was a football fan, mm. he is a football fan, and he his big holes in his understanding of what's happening on the pitch. Um, but as a fan, he's got that passion. So when I used to work with him match today too, I'd say something to him and he'd, he'd kind of go, and I'd see his eyebrows go, I don't understand, don't understand doesn't compute. And then I'd go, I, re- I realise now that maybe what I've said is to somebody at home looking like Adrian is at the telly going, don't understand. Yeah. So... When I when a light bulb went off in his head, I knew that everybody at home or a lot of people at yeah, home had got, had got it as well. Mm. So he was my, my litmus paper of mm. what I'm saying. So I would keep talking until the the, light, the the brow went smooth and the light bulb went off. And then I went, oh, I've finished now. And so he was brilliant. He doesn't, I told him that, but he didn't realise it at the time. And he was like, right, I've got I need to work with Adrian all the time. Cause, and obviously then you work with different presenters and Mark Pugacci's, a brilliant presenter. I love working with him because he's really passionate about football, but he gives you a different question and a different way of talking to 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 him because you're kind of talking to the presenter, although you're projecting back home. Mm. If you can talk to the presenter and project back home at the mm. same time, then you, you're doing your bit. If you're just talking to... So that's why sometimes working with Gary Lineker when I first did Match of the Day and stuff, he knows... He knows the answer intimately. Mm. So I didn't always get from him, I didn't always get any 
anything back from him because I was like, he knows this. He's kind of like, so you end up maybe trying to talk to everybody. Is it just a different way of doing yeah, it? Yeah, because you're not putting it into layman's terms for him because he doesn't need you to. And that's no, actually, no. that and it can potentially but, but, alienate your audience because they don't, yeah, it's but I don't, I don't too in what you're discussing. I don't necessarily like that layman's terms as if because there's thousands and hundreds of thousands of people at home that, that know more about football than I do. Yeah, but they haven't played I, to the level no, you have. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the difference. If yeah. you're explaining something is only my point of view about mm. a situation. It's not going, you know, pundits who go out there and go, he that's wrong. He did that. You have to understand, and this is one thing I somebody told me. You know, give give somebody at home a bit of information they they couldn't possibly know. Now, if they've played football, they could know that. Yeah. But if I've given them the information, but then said from my point of view, um, as a as a, a as a Premier League player in a dressing room, something happened, or da, 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 that's sharing something that they couldn't possibly know. Mm. So that's that's gold dust to the mm. people at home. Um, and so that you've got to try and find a way of, of doing that. But it's not mm. dumbing it down. And that's why working for NBC has been brilliant for me because I talk about the game differently. And it's not dumbing it down because you, you're talking to an American audience, lots of expats who know the game and mm. watch a lot of football. But you're also explaining stuff in a different way. You know, and, and some, of the, some of the words that I might use wouldn't work in America. I have to change it because it's, I just presume they know what... Um, oh, the wingers got you know the the fullbacks struggling. The wingers got anyone a piece of toast, and I might say that to somebody here, and they go, and I they would. I know don't know that, what you mean. No, no, you you need to go to America, and then right. I can take, say it in a different way. But it means you know certain things you'd explain it to them in a different mm-hmm. way, and it's it's a brilliant. I'm t- I'm talking to somebody who knows all about this because you as a presenter and a and a and a broadcaster and a very good one at that even though it's your podcast I have to say that yeah. you're very, it's like you make people at ease and you, you find a way of pulling information out of people in a, in a very special way and, that, and that's that's your talent um, and that then, makes me sound manipulative though don't no it? no it's not no because you you, you come a, you talk to somebody else another football another racing driver or whatever it is and understand that you can't just ask that question mm. because you know the guy and you've, you're in, intimately involved in his career and you go, can't ask, and I don't know motor racing enough to, to, to suggest the characters, but you can't ask so-and-so a, a certain question the same you would ask mm. and you want the same information. Mm. So it's not manipulative, it's brilliant broadcasting. Okay. So well done, you. Thank you very much. But I do have to pick you up on something. Oh, go on, yeah, go yeah, on. This has Uh-oh. been bothering me for a while. Oh, I don't no. want to end the podcast without mentioning it. Oh, shit, what's he, what's he going to say? <laughs> so... It's. We talked about feet before because we had a photograph taken and, and size of feet. I'm not mentioning size of feet because they're yeah. that's fine. You've got yeah. lovely feet, size six, whatever. But you, I don't know if you've done it on purpose. Yeah. But your laces are really bothering me because <laughs> you've laced one up crisscross, and the other ones overlap. Oh my god! I didn't even notice and that. That's really bothering me. Oh my god. <laughs> You've got some sort of OCD thing. You know, going I was on. talking. We were talking about your son going to school. And he's four years of age. But I have as well. You, and you were going to, on about your son before. Yeah. And and he was going to his school, and you'd done his tie up, and yeah, I tried to I zoom know, in on his I tie know, because you've not done a bad job. I've got a thing about ties as yeah. well. They have to go up to the top button. Yeah. You can't see any of the top of the collar, and it has to be a certain <laughs> type of tie knot, and also laces. If you do your laces up. Right, can I just say something in my defence? These are the, no. these are my Adidas Stan Smiths, and they came like this. 
I just took them out of the box and put them on. I haven't noticed. Oh, what shaking your head. What excuse is that? All right, so I've got to change up. So just which one? They come out the box, which one? You... Which one should I do then? Crisscross or? Don't over? care. Just as long as they're the, the same. same. When they come out the box, did you go? No, the laces are different. No, didn't notice. Or did you go? I've got two kids on the age of four. Yeah. I'm, my yeah. life's a mess. Yeah. Is that... <laughs> yeah. Not a mess, but yeah, too busy to notice laces. Yeah. I tell you what, it is interesting about the um, about the tie thing because. He's four. Why are they making him wear a tie? A proper tie. Absolutely. Every wear morning a tie. I'm trying to do this bloody tie. Remember? He goes, Mum, you'll cover up, Mummy. And I'm going, like sweating it's in the about, morning. This is like 7 a.m. This is too much. It's about discipline. It's right. about understanding. Oh, it's about who you are. George and Graham who you coming represent. out of you again. Yeah. Absolutely. And wearing a tie at four years of age does not do him any harm whatsoever, unless you do it up like you did it. <laughs> Get one of those on a piece of elastic, and then it'll be the same every day. That's what I'm hoping. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It's lovely to talk to you. Could go on and on. Yeah. And I think we have actually gone on and on quite a lot. <laughs> Edit. <laughs> I certainly didn't need to make any notes or create any questions for Lee Dixon because that was always going to be just a lovely, free-flowing chat. He's so easy to talk to. So thank you, Lee. And um, I found it really moving, actually, that he wanted to perhaps still does be a coach because he's got such a good footballing brain but obviously that comes across really well as a pundit so long may that continue um thank you lee for your time and your conversation um okay let us have your feedback on this podcast and all the other ones in the series so far and who you'd like me to talk to next we've got a few cool ones coming up so stay tuned for those and Stay tuned to find out how you could win some of those very snazzy Bose 700 headphones, the noise-cancelling type. Just don't cancel the noise of In The Pink, okay? Keep listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Thank you for your company. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.